All right. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of The Jake Dunlap Show. We are very excited that you joined us. If you haven't tuned in, this is the show where we talk to celebrities, thought, and industry leaders to really discover their journey to success. I am super excited that you're joining us. This show is like no other. I can promise you that. You might laugh. You might cry. But you will definitely leave inspired and gain a whole new level of insight into those people that you follow, love, and admire. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of The Jake Dunlap Show. Today's guest, I mean, you want to talk about changing or adapting or following your passion. This gentleman has done exactly that. From being a successful, self-taught, self-made businessman, radio personality, podcast host, Many refer to him as the guru of SEO, search engine optimization for out there. He's written books on the topic, really is a leading authority on marketing and ways that organizations are standing out and being found. Please welcome me and joining Mr. Jason Hennessy. Jason, welcome to the show. Jake, thank you so much for having me on, man. I appreciate it. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely looking forward to this, man. Like your background is really, I think, a a really interesting one that a lot of people, I think, will be able to hear, listen, learn from. Um, You know, again, because you took kind of a very interesting route. You know, you were in the armed forces, went, went to UNLV, lived kind of all over. You've been in, you know, radio, then you're into marketing and now SEO. So I think everyone's going to have a lot of fun with this conversation. And so let's go back. Let's talk about the South Shore, Long Island. Let's talk about Copeg, right? Which is where, you know, where you're from and grew up. And I can say that my in-laws are both from Long Island. My wife was born in Long Island. My in-laws literally have lived in Wilmington, North Carolina for, I kid you not, and Jason, you'll appreciate this, They've lived there for like 35 years. They are fresh off the boat, Long Island. Like my, my mother-in-law like cannot pronounce the word marina. It's marina. Pinot, <laughs> Pinot, Pinot Noir is peanut nua, right? Shout out to Kathy. I love you. But peanut nua. Uh, Jake, did, oh, I love that peanut nua. So I know, I know, you, can, I know you can relate to that, man. So, so what was it like growing up, man? Like what are some like early memories you have about you know, whether it's business or, you know, tell us about like what kind of students you were and you know, what, what are some of like the early memories you have about growing up before you ended up going into the armed forces? Yeah. So, uh, so Copeg, New York is on the South Shore, like you said, of Long Island. It's a, you know, lower to middle class community, a lot of uh, blue collar workers that travel in and out of New York City, a lot of union workers. And so uh, growing up there, I, I grew up with my mom who had me at 18 years old. Father wasn't really in the picture. I had my grandparents. My grandma made bathing suits and my grandpa worked as a local custodian in the high school, right? So didn't really have much, but, you know, I, I grew up in a family that, you know, gave me all of my core values, love, respect, manners, you know, all of the things that, you know, kind of build your character in life that, you know, and some of the lessons that you're learning back then, uh, you don't even realize you're learning until later on. So that's, uh, that's basically me growing up. And, you know, I always had a hustle as a kid, right? I didn't, you know, my mom couldn't just give me money to buy a video game. Uh, you know, I had to like go hustle. And so I was a kid, you know, selling blow pops and juicy fruit out of the back of my, uh, backpack, you know? I love it, man. 
And what, I mean, what was it? So your mom, I mean, she's working. Like, what was your mom doing during the time? You know, what were some like memories you have of like her going out? Because I'm sure, again, like that's a, not an easy, a, a, like you said, everything's handed you type of upbringing. Yeah. So my mom was, uh, you know, she uh, she had to obviously drop out of high school to have me when you're, you know, pregnant at 17 years old. And so uh, she uh, she just, you know, started to work. She was cleaning houses. And so I would go with her and kind of just whatever, hang out at the house while she cleaned it, go home. And uh, and like I said, my grandma and my grandpa were really like the the financial uh, backing of my mom at the time who didn't really have much. And my grandparents really didn't have much either, but they made do with what they had. What kind of student were you? You know, what type of, you know, again, you talked about like hustling, selling the juicy fruit for those. I don't juicy fruit. Yeah, juicy fruit's got to be still around. If you all don't, blow pops definitely are. But juicy fruit, I mean, it's the best gum ever for about 22 seconds. And then it it immediately turns. If if you've never had juicy fruit, I'd suggest you try it. But, you know, like, again, like, so like, how did that play against you at school? So, uh, so in school, um, you know, there was a, it was a lot of, uh, you know, distractions. I was kind of like a kid with ADHD, but not so much that, you know, I would get calls from my mom, you know, to my mom saying, Hey, your kid's like uncontrollable. Like, you know, like, so I was never really like medicated per se, but you know, my mind would race, you know, they'd be teaching, you know, a lecture and I'd be thinking about anything else, but the lecture. And so, uh, you know, when you kind of have that, you know, it's, hard to be a really good student right you know um yeah. in fact i just created a t-shirt that says adhd is my superpower right and so it really is <laughs> it's an entrepreneurial superpower but you don't know it back then because they're trying to kind of fit you in to be a good student and to sit here and to listen and to study and to take tests and um you know and i just kind of knew that I had this entrepreneurial dna in me i would go to like the pizza place that you know was right by our school you know, maybe being like middle school or something like 12 years old. And I'd be sitting in there thinking, man, this is such a good location. He's right next to the school. Everybody that comes in here pays like six bucks. There's 12 people online right now. You know, like I was kind of doing those kind of calculations at 12 years old. Right. So that's wild, man. Yeah. And then, so what made Mm -hmm. you again, like, what was the reasoning behind the going into the armed forces? You know, talk a little bit about that. Yeah. So, you know, I, I was certainly not getting into any Ivy League colleges and, and, you know, and I didn't have a lot of money, you know, so I wasn't getting any kind of academic um, scholarships. So, uh, you know, the route that I took was to, you know, join the U.S. Air Force. I scored high on my ASVAB test. Which ASVAB, is the test that I remember that. Yeah. yeah. And so I could select any of the armed services that I wanted to get into. And so I went and decided to go Air Force. And yeah, that was going to help pay for college, you know, through that GI Bill. And so I went to Texas, did my boot camp. From there, I got uh, sent over to Vegas. And I spent the next four years working in Vegas, which is cool because it was the home of the Thunderbirds, which is kind of like the Blue Angels of the Air yeah, Force. Yeah. And so... Mm-hmm. How'd you pick the Air Force? You know, it's... Uh, they call it the chair force. Um, uh, and I wanted to, um, <laughs> you know, I really, I was joining the military, you know, not so much to kind of be at combat and to kind of fire weapons and stuff. I was kind of really joining the military for, you know, for my education. And when I joined the air force, I was a really good wrestler and I was in great shape. I ended up making special forces in the air force. 
And it was like a real honor because not just anybody makes special forces. And um, the lady ended up calling from the Air Force, my mom, and said, you've got a real like Rambo on your hands. This kid is good. He joined the, you know, the special forces. It could like open up so many doors for him. He could probably work for the Secret Service someday. And then I stole my mom. I'm like, I don't think I'm going to do it. Like, I'm like, what do you do? Well, you basically go up in an airplane and then you jump out of the airplane and you line up lasers so that when the F-16s fly over, they know where to shoot. You know, I'm just like, I don't want, I don't want to do that. Like, I just want to go and get my degree. And I was very money motivated, right? And you really can't. That's the only reason why I did four years in the military is because when you're money motivated, you can't just be like, you know, a, you know, four-star general, you can't just kind of like excel quickly by kind of doing the hard work. You have to pay your dues with time. And so I ended up getting out of the military just because I didn't want to work off of a fixed income for 20 years, you know? Yeah. It just wasn't for me. It's a, it's a life, but it just wasn't for me, you know? Yeah, I get it, man. I get it. It's not mm-hmm. for everyone. I mean, and again, you, you put in the work and you put in the time for the right reasons. But I think the interesting part for everyone out there is like, you are also like, getting involved in entertainment at the same time. You know, you mm-hmm. were starting again from your Air Force, you know, room, you know, you're starting your own, you know, DJ's entertainment, D.J's, by the way, for everybody. <laughs> yeah, you're starting to do some of the radio stuff. So, you know, when you get out, you go to UNLV, right? You finish up mm-hmm. your education there. And then, you know, talk mm-hmm. about like, why entertainment? Like, what was it about that? I mean, obviously you're there, you're in Vegas, you're in the mix. It's so interesting. There's a guy, I don't know if you know him. He's a UNLV. His name's Henry Shuck. He's actually the CEO of Zoom Info. I don't know if you know Henry or not, mm. but you should, because Henry was also UNLV. He ended up becoming the class president at UNLV. And he was doing a lot of this stuff too. I think it's like, if you're in UNLV, you're like around the entertainment. He did like a mobile DJ business and now is a you know, CEO just like you. So another alum that I should connect you guys with. He's a cool guy. So how'd you get into this? You know, how'd you get into this? You know, it's like, I guess, I guess when you're in Vegas, you're going to school, you know, and you were, you, I mean, you were doing it for a long time. You know, you were doing the on-air stuff for, you know, eight plus years. Mm-hmm. You know, how did you get into it? You know, what was it that kind of attracted you to kind of start your own thing and, and still be, do, you know, working on the side? Yeah. So that all started, I mean, the DJ stuff started when I was like 15 years old, I was getting paid as a kid to go out and DJ sweet 16s. And so I had the experience, I started to build up like a music collection. And so, you know, when I got shipped to the Air Force, and I ended up being stationed in Las Vegas, you know, I shipped all my DJ equipment there, and I would just kind of practice and stuff. And then I, um, I'm like, well, why don't I try to, you know, make some extra money on the weekends as being a DJ. And so I took out an ad in the Yellow Pages. This is a funny story because I think people will uh, appreciate it. (laughs) So I was making like, I don't know, maybe like 700 bucks a month as being like in the Air Force, right? You know, like two stripes. And so uh, I'm like, I got an idea. I'm going to become a DJ and I'll go DJ weddings on the side on the weekends. So why don't I, you know, try to get an ad in the yellow pages? This is when people like still looked at the yellow pages. Yeah. So yeah. I met with the I met with the sales guy from the yellow pages and, you know, we sat down. He's like, okay, we'll get you a business card ad and it's gonna be three hundred and seventy bucks. And I'm like, okay, great. And I just kind of signed the contract. 
you know, and so, uh, you know, the first month that's fine. And then bam, the second month comes and they subtract that $370 from my bank account. I'm like, what the heck? I'm like, you guys already took the money out. He's like, no, no, that's like a monthly charge. Right. Oh no. I'm like, are you kidding me? I'm like, (laughs) I can't afford this. Right. I'm only making 700 bucks. That's like half the money I make from the military. And he's like, oh, well you signed the contract. There's not much I can do, blah, blah, blah. And so it turned out that that was one of the best mistakes that I ever made, right? And I probably wouldn't have made that risk if I would have known. And it taught me a very valuable lesson, right? That you have to advertise, right? If you want to generate business. Because when I did that, next thing you know, my phone would ring and I would basically get a phone call. And then I would try to convert it into a wedding booking where I'd go out and DJ a wedding. And then, you know, I would make like a thousand bucks, 1200 bucks on a Saturday night, just doing one wedding. Right. And then maybe do another one next Saturday and another one on Friday. So it turned out that that $370 that was going to bankrupt me ended up making me a lot more money. Right. And so when I got out of the Air Force, I kind of transitioned and I just started doing that again. I built one sound system and then I built another sound system that I was paying DJs to go out and like I was thinking, how do you scale, right? That was always kind of in the back of my mind. And from a marketing perspective, I'm like, what's the best way to get tap into the local, you know, industry here? And that's being a radio personality. Again, when people listen to the radio. And so I went down there, I applied for a job as a radio personality and I got the gig and I wasn't making a lot of money, but it just opened up the doors to me being more of a notoriety in the market. And so, uh, you know, I was always kind of thinking two steps ahead, I guess, if you will. Yeah, I mean, I would say so. I mean, plus, and and keep in mind, you're in the, he's, you know, for everyone listening, he's in the Air Force full time too, right? During the week. So, you know, trying to go out and hustle and make it happen. Yep, exactly. And so, as you, so, okay, so then you graduate. So you, you finish with the Air Force, you go to UNLV, you're doing this while you're at, you know, UNLV, you know, again, for the entire time you're there, basically. And then, like, what was like the next chapter for you? You know, like what, when were, mm-hmm. when were you like, you know what? Cause again, like you did a lot of these things, like one wedding source ever spark. I mean, you were doing a lot of these, you know, kind of businesses on the side for a long time. Like, you know, what was the point where you started to get into, let's call it like interactive, you know, and you started mm-hmm. to think about like, okay, like I like this, you got a business, it's going well. You obviously just listening to your personality. Like you said, you're always thinking two steps ahead of like what's next. Like what was it yeah. about, you know, what did you see next? Whether it was Stompernet and you know what you're doing there or getting into EverSpark. Yeah. As I uh, was going to college, UNLV, and I was working as a radio personality and I was DJing weddings on the weekend, you know, the one thing that I was missing was I was missing tapping into the brides that were coming to Las Vegas to get married. So like people from Chicago where they have destination weddings. And so I had this idea. I'm like, why don't I create a website where, you know, brides can come plan their wedding in Las Vegas? And so I registered the domain VegasWeddingMall.com. I hired a developer for like $5,000 to develop the website. What year is this for everyone? Like what year is Vegas Wedding Mall? 2001. Yep. Wow. Um, This is early, man. Yeah. So I developed the website and, you know, and um, two months, three months later, I call up Stalin, who was the guy that developed it. I'm like, hey, Stalin, like, you know, the site looks amazing, but nobody's coming to it. Like it doesn't get any traffic is it broken? And he's like, Oh, no, no, I just know how to develop the website, getting people to the website. That's a whole different thing. He goes, I think it's called like, SEO or something. And this I'm is like, 2001. 
Is that right? This yes. is 2001? Yeah, 2001. So, so what are you, yeah. like, what's that, like, Netscape? Is that, like, like is, <laughs> is that, uh, you know, Netscape, there was Yahoo, AOL? There was, yeah, there was Yahoo. AOL was back then, you know, AOL, right, where you had to connect to the internet. Um, you know, and then Google, um, you know, Google was around, but it wasn't, like, a known, you know, it wasn't, like, everybody was using Google. Um, and so... I'm like, well, crap, I guess I got to figure out this SEO stuff now because I just spent $5,000 to develop. And again, another mistake, like I probably wouldn't have spent the $5,000 if I known that I have to learn this <laughs> SEO thing too. Like, What, what do you mean? I don't just put right? it up and people find me? You know, yeah. that's how it worked in the yellow pages, right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So uh, so I, I bought a book. Um, it was like one of the only books on the subject at the time because it was like the wild, wild west. It was such wow. a new topic, right? Um, the guy that wrote the book, his name is Aaron Wall. He's still around. It was called SEObook.com. Um, another guy way ahead of uh, of of you know the industry. And so I read the book from front to back twice, and then I just started practicing on the site. You know, it was a little intimidating, you know, but I'm like, oh okay, change this keyword, to this meta keyword, and change add this content here, and internally link this here, right? And so eventually, I just started practicing, and I started to get good at it, right? And you know, the next thing you know, like that site, Vegas Wedding Mall was ranking for Las Vegas Wedding DJ and Las Vegas Wedding Photographer and Las Vegas Wedding Videographer, things like that. So much so that other people were calling me up, you know, photographers and DJs and limo companies wanting to advertise on the website. And I'm like, yeah. oh, you want to advertise on this website? Okay, cool. I only built it so I can get the DJ business, but sure, uh, give me like a hundred bucks a month. And so that turned into a whole business. And so we had Vegas Wedding Mall, Seattle Wedding Mall, Los Angeles Wedding Mall. We had a call center in Las Vegas where we had like 25 people that were calling wedding vendors. And and so um, that that was just a whole separate business. And, and you were still going to school, right? I'm still going to school. You know, I graduated during that time, but yeah. I was going to school when I started it. Yeah. Where does this drive come from, man? Like where before we, like you keep going forward, like... Where do you think this drive comes from? I mean, did you at your hand, you know, like you're doing all the, like, like, you know, the average person I think would hear this and be like, you know, one, I think and maybe it's like the the beautiful part about being young and not knowing better at times, right, too. But obviously, as you continued in your career, you've continued to find these, these like new things and new things that are extensions of what you've done. Like, where do you mm-hmm. feel like this like thirst for, because it's not like you're just like half-assed doing one thing and then moving on it's like no you're like fully doing things and then and then fully doing other things like where do you think that drive comes from well certainly my upbringing right i mean when you don't have much and you kind of got it round together you know like a couple dollars or you know forty dollars to buy a video game you know you always want more right because you never had it so i think it certainly comes from there and i think the other part of it is you could be either bold or you could be smart. And I think I was more bold where I just took the risk and I said I would figure it out later. Whereas sometimes people that are too smart don't take the risk, right? Um, and so some of, some of the best entrepreneurs are, are bold. And the reason why their companies grow is because they surround themselves with smart people. I like that. All right. So, so a graduate, this business has taken off. Things are going well. And then again, like mm-hmm. what, like what was the next chapter? You know, like, again, did you decide to sell? Yeah, I think you decided to sell it or. Yep. So we ended up selling, we sold that. And then I didn't want to raise my kids in Vegas. It's not a bad place to live. I just wanted to, 
you know, just to get out and just kind of experience something else. We were there. For, I was there for like eight years. I had already met my my wife. We got married. We had two children. And so our journey ended up taking us to Georgia. And uh, we moved to Georgia. I was going to partner with somebody on a venture out there. And that didn't actually like happen. And so I was out there. While I was out there, somebody asked me to come and talk to a mastermind group of DUI lawyers, right? Um, and so yeah. I'm like, what do you want me to do? He's like, just come <laughs> and just show them a little bit about like SEO, like what, how they can get more, you know, clients from Google. And so this is 2008 and I'm like, okay. And so I put together a deck and I'm like, I don't know nothing about like marketing, like for lawyers. Um, I'm like, what am I going to teach them? I'm like, screw it. I'm just going to show them how do I ranked on Google for like wedding favors and, you know, all of these terms. I'm just going to show them exactly the steps that I took. So I got up there and I said, hey, listen, I don't know nothing. The best part is just kind of being honest. You know, I don't know nothing yeah. about legal marketing, guys, <laughs> but I do know about SEO. And it's the same thing as if you're trying to rank for wedding favors versus, you know, Atlanta DUI lawyer. So just follow along and just take notes and I'll answer questions. And so I basically just gave a 45-minute presentation of exactly the steps that I took to rank on Google for the word wedding favors and, you know, how I was making a lot of money just drop shipping products. And drop shipping in 2000 and what, 2008? Yes. Uh-huh. Yep. Man, you're, you're just ahead of it, ahead of the time. <laughs> so, uh, you know, at the end of my presentation, you know, about seven lawyers came up to me and said, that was just so awesome. Like the way in which you break things down and explain it was just so good. I'm paying an SEO person $7,000 a month and they're not doing any of this stuff for me. And then another guy's like, I'm paying an SEO guy like $5,000 a month. They're like, do you do this as like, like consulting or what? I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, not really, yes. but give me your card. And so I ended up leaving there with about six new clients and about $35,000, $40,000 of reoccurring revenue. Holy right? Just shit, from one man. presentation. And so I'm like, whoa, now I'm onto something here. And so, uh, you know, and then I started to get to work and I started to hire a couple people and we built an agency called Everspark Interactive. Um, and we started to focus in legal, right? Just because we had the case studies and we had, you know, people were recommending us to their other, you know, as a mastermind group. So they're like, oh my God, we're killing it. You got to speak with Jason. And so, you know, fast forward, uh, I ended up selling that business. Um, and then, um, I sold that business in 2015 to my partner. Uh, my son wanted to become an actor. Um, he was watching The okay. Walking Dead at the time. He was like 11 years old. He's like, <laughs> I want to be on TV. I'm like, I want to be an astronaut, right? Um, so anyway, we we said, let's take the journey. We just sold the business. And so we ended up moving out to LA. And uh, here we are. And my son pursued the acting thing. And his mother, my wife, you know, was taking him to... Sony Pictures and Paramount Pictures and Nickelodeon Studios. It's a really cool thing, you know, and he was doing all kinds of commercials and TV shows and things. And then I just got bored. I was playing tennis every day and I'm like, I should do this again. And so I created another agency and it's called Hennessy Digital. And that agency has just been growing, growing, growing. We've got 160 full-time employees, four years consecutively on the fastest growing businesses by Inc. Magazine. And then this is my latest thing is uh, I've got a studio now. So I'm in my my studio here. This is where I film my podcast. Yeah. 
And so uh, this is just another business venture is, you know, getting more into the entertainment, the, the creative side of entertainment. Getting back to it. Getting back to... Getting back. There it is. Yeah. Getting exactly. back to it, man. It's tough to get away. And yeah, I mean, it, we'll link to the show for everyone who can check it out as well, too. So let's talk maybe a little bit about, again, like, you know, for you, it, it seems like it's been, I don't know if it's easy, but it's, you know, you kind of see this opening, like you said, you're able to be bold and just, you know, kind of be like, all right, I think like I got like the, the inkling. I mean, obviously it doesn't hurt that that last, you know, to, to, to start EverSpark. You're like, oh, I've got $35,000 a month of, you know, monthly reoccurring revenue to kind of kick it off. What made you want to kind of do it again? You know, like do like start your own agency versus, I guess, is it like at that point, you know, did you always know that you would be an entrepreneur? Did you ever think about going in-house at a big company or running marketing? And two-part question then. And then how did you think about this SEO kind of being your thing? And like this idea of reverse engineering the, you know, Google algorithm. So as far as like working for a big company, you know, um, I don't I don't think that was ever in my DNA. You know, like I, when I was like in college and I'm like in, you know, accounting classes, like I sucked at accounting. I'm like, I would try to like cheat on, you know, just to be able to pass the class. Right. You know what I mean? Like, like I always knew that I wasn't going to do my own accounting, you know, like I was just going to hire an accountant. I was going to hire somebody that, that that's what they love. That's what they're passionate about. They like to crunch numbers all day. That just wasn't me. Right. I was just more, you know, visionary marketer, you know, with some level of execution, you know? And so, uh, you know, that's just it. I had the drive. Um, so again, working for a big company certainly was never really in my cards, I don't think. As far as like why SEO, why reverse engineering the Google algorithm, I think that's just how my mind works. You know, I'm very competitive, you know, and I like to look at patterns and I like to figure out um it's funny, because like in SEO, it's like when you when you actually rank number one on Google, you stare at it and you're like why am I ranking number one on Google? Like, why? You know what I mean? But when you rank on t- page 10 of Google, it's the same thing. You just stare at right, it and right. say, why do I rank on page 10 of Google? Why, right? So you're constantly questioning it. But the beautiful thing is when you're doing it for so long, SEO is not, it, I don't think it is, it's not taught in college. I mean, there might be some basic classes, but Google's not just giving out their algorithm to universities right. and textbooks. You know what I mean? You only can do it by practicing it. And, you know, because I've been practicing it for, you know, 20 years now, you know, 12 to 15 years just doing it in the legal vertical, it has given me a competitive advantage because all of the lessons that I learned and all the failures that I made by practicing and practicing and practicing only benefit the new clients that we work with today, right? And that's my competitive advantage. And what do you, I mean, do you stay, I mean, again, how do you stay up to speed? You know, I think a lot of people, they get to a certain level, you know, how do you continue to stay in front of it? Because, right, this is one of those, you know, you know, especially now, I've got to imagine it wasn't, you know, quite evolving as quickly, you know, 15, mm-hmm. 20 years ago. But now I've got to imagine, you know, how do you as a CEO stay in the front of it, you know, to make sure that you're staying relevant as a part of it? Yeah. So for me, it's always a, it's always a passion, right? It'll always be a passion. You know, I think, if I'm staying current on SEO, it's probably at this point of my life, you know, staying like real current at the forefront of it, then I'm probably not, you know, living the right life. Like I need to put people in place now 
that that's their job, right? Your job, you're the VP of SEO, you're the senior director of SEO. You, you guys need to do that, right? I have a yep. site called iloveseo.com where we publish news and articles about SEO, right? I own the site, but I don't write the content, right? I've got people that are more passionate about it now to write the content about it. You know, where I am in my life is, you know, just kind of, um, you know, growing the business, acting as a CEO, you know, looking at possibly acquisitions and recruiting and talent. And, you know, now I'm starting to get into coaching other agency owners that want to get to eight figures. So I'm, you know, taking on maybe like 10 clients where I'm going to start to coach them to kind of achieve their success. Of course, of course. It's like, you know, you're, you're branching out. What, what do you think? I mean, for a lot of people out there that are listening, you know, they might, they might have like an area of expertise like you've had, you know, they, you've always kind of had this entrepreneurial been kind of your own CEO. Maybe they've been working at a company and they've got an expertise. What's been one of the, I would say, bigger learnings for you? You know, when you think about your growth, your evolution, Moving from expert practitioner and expert, I mean, you've always been kind of a CEO too, right? So, you know, your path's a little bit different, but maybe for people listening or some of the things you think about from moving from being that guy who knew all the things, the expert in the room, talk a little bit about like that first transition to being more of, like you said, focusing on these like bigger picture things. Because what I see is a couple, two, two different types of people. One, people that are kind of jacks of all trades and they're like, I'll just hire a bunch of people. And it's like, dude, you need to be like really, it usually helps if you have like a core competency and then they wonder why mm-hmm. like the business fails or the other, which is like a practitioner who's really, really good, who fails to make that leap to be an executive or a senior leader. I see it a lot. And again, I work in the sales, you know, kind of consulting world. So I see it all the time with, you know, senior directors, et cetera, that struggle to get out of the day, day to day and the, the, day, the trenches and those types of things. And what are some things that you you know, or struggles that you went through to make that next step up, you know, to, to really being a leader. Yeah. It's, it's an evolution because I think, you know, and I think this is the reason, you know, why most small businesses fail, right? Because they say like, I think more than 50% of small businesses that get started fail within like the first three years. Right. And I think it's because like you start off like as, as a passion, it's like the reason why you get into business is like, you love something, you like to do it, you're making money. Right. But then, you know, you're actually now getting into the world of business, right? And in all, only in order to scale, like you can't do it all yourself. You have to kind of hire the right people. And when you're just getting started out, you don't have the resources to hire the right people, right? So instead, yeah. you're hiring the people that you can afford to hire. <laughs> and now you're spending most of your time trying to train them, right? And so you usually make a lot of mistakes at that point of your career. It's like, and then next thing you know, you're like, okay, great. We've got a team of five. You're the VP of sales and you're the VP of, you know, and these are kids that are right out of college that you're calling VPs just because (laughs) it's a title, right? And you want to sound bigger than you really are. And they're not VPs. They're not trained to be VPs. They've never run a business before, right? But, you know, and so, you know, you're making a lot of those mistakes and then you have to kind of like back out of those mistakes. And for me, you know, I think the, the pivotal moment for me was in 2008 with this business, I was growing my agency and it was great. And I was making like 60% margins, but 
I was working really hard. I was managing HR, I was managing payroll, I was doing the strategy, I was the account manager, I was the sales guy, right? We had a team of maybe like 12 people at the time. It wasn't a big team, but I was still doing yeah. a lot of the roles. And at the end of the year, you know, and this is after I would go to Hawaii and enjoy vacation with my wife, but I'd be like, hey, honey, I'll be right back. I got to go to the room and take a call. It's only going to be about an hour and I'll come back down, right? Like it, it was not the best quality of life, right? I was working 12 hour days, even on vacation. And so, um, you know, at the end of the year, I had to write a check, a large check to the government. And I'm like, why the heck did I work so hard? 60% margins is bullshit. Like it doesn't matter if you're gonna have to write all this money back and, and give it to the government. So I'm like, screw this. I'm not doing this anymore. I'm just gonna go hire like a good real leadership team. And so I brought in a COO and a president who's the same person. His name's Scott. He's an MIT grad with a Kellogg MBA, and he just brought another company to acquisition. He then recruited his CFO um, from the same company. We then got their old CTO. And next thing you know, like I've got 22 like senior directors, right? I just kind of kept reinvesting in that so much so that my margins came all the way down to like 6%. It was very uncomfortable, but I needed it. And so, but now because we've got so many smart people in place that are, you know, so much better at the roles than I would ever be, you know, they're coming in, they're creating systems and processes, they're recruiting people, they're training people, they're, you know, our clients are happy. Um, you know, and now like our margins are growing again and the business is really growing without me, really, you know. And so that's basically the big lesson there is, you know, hire the right people when you can afford to hire the right people. Yeah. And what do you do in those situations where you know you've got the wrong person, right? So again, like you said, you're promoting that junior person to VP. And, and I'm sure for you, you're like, you want them to make it. How did you handle those situations? Because I think that that's the other thing I see when when people are scaling their business is that, we put people in the wrong roles and then we you know, fail to make the tough decisions. So what you should do is you should do this with everybody in your company, right? You create like a quadrant, right? So you've got four quadrants, right? And you know, as far as the y-axis, let's just call that performance, right? As far as the x-axis, let's call that, uh, are they a cultural fit, right? So you got four quadrants. Anybody in the top left, right? Those are your brilliant jerks, right? Those are the people that are so smart, um, but nobody likes working with them. They're assholes, right? You need to fire those people. Like as much as you want to keep them on because they're so smart, but they're just culturally not a good fit, you need to fire those people. Anybody in the bottom left-hand side, right? Those are the people that are not a cultural fit and not high performers. Those people you have to fire as well, right? Because, and you need to reverse engineer, like how did they end up working for you like how can you avoid hiring people like that again in the future right anybody in the lower right so the bottom right quadrant those are people that are really good at cultural fit but they're not high performers maybe they're in the wrong seat maybe they're in the wrong position can you train them up can you move them to a better position where they're more passionate right so those are people that you want to keep but just figure out like why are they not performing high you know what, what could they do differently and anybody in the top right right? Those are your key retains. Like those are your rock stars. Like you want to try to get as many of your, your employees to that top, right. And then you want to handcuff them to the business. How do you handcuff them to the business? 
well, you know, with bonus structures, you look at, you know, you do studies to see like, what is the compensation that, you know, everybody in those titles are making. And if you've got everybody being paid 50% of the compensation, try to get them to 70%, try to increase benefits, right? So that's probably, that's a long answer to your question, but that's how I go. It's awesome, dude. I just, I wrote the graph out. I think it's a, a very brilliant, easy way for anybody to kind of like force rank where, where people are uh, as a part of this. Mm-hmm. So, so look, Jason, this has been a fun conversation, man, as we, as we kind of start to, to wrap up here. What's the latest and greatest? Like, what's new for you? You know, when you think about SEO yeah. and you, know, you talk about different people talking about, you know, uh, the effects of SEO today versus what it meant five years ago. How are you evolving? You know, how are you thinking about the agency, the business, obviously being known as, you know, one of the top SEO agencies in the, you know, the US and world? You know, mm-hmm. how do you think about evolving your business? Yeah. So right now I'm kind of uh, in uncharted territory for myself. Like right now we're moving into, uh, you know, growth by acquisition. Um, I've never acquired another company before. And so, uh, you know, that's kind of where we're focused right now. You know, I'm I'm writing another book. I wrote one book already. It's on law firm SEO, teaching lawyers how to market their business. I'm in the process of writing another book right now, which I think is going to be um, leveraging um, Inc. Magazine as the publisher, which will be cool. Um, my goal is to get that in airports and bookstores and and to really cool. bring SEO, not to the computer engineering section where it's tucked away with like you know, C++ <laughs> and Python. And people are like, I can't wait to read this on the airplane. Like I'll just, I'll just sleep either way. Yeah, I want it to be more of like a business book because that's the way it's written. It's written for those that, you know, don't speak code. Um, and so I'm working on that. That'll probably, you know, I guess uh, come out in the next eight to nine months. Awesome, man. And then, uh, and then I've got my podcast. The Jason Hennessy podcast has nothing to do with legal marketing. It's similar to what you're doing. It's just me yeah. interviewing interesting people. That's really what it is. I love it, man. And what about the biz? I mean, I'm, I think this is more a selfish question. Like, what about like marketing trends? You like, well, how have you mm-hmm. seen that evolve? And like I said, we'll definitely we'll link to everything that Jason's doing. You know, go check him out. If you're in, you know, wait for the next book. If you're not in the legal world, but if you're in the legal world, go check out his last book. Um, definitely listen to the podcast as well. And you know, like uh, my last question is, is on the marketing front. What are the trends that you're seeing? And this is just a selfish question for me, is you know, being on the sales side. Like, what are the big things that you think companies or people, if you're you know, if you're in those roles, that you need to be thinking about, you know, now? Yeah, I think uh, you know. Again, I just went all in on creating a studio for video content. Right? I know everybody talks about you know, video content, video content, video content. But I think it goes a little bit further now. You know, I think a lot of businesses will start to, you know, pull back TV advertising and billboard advertising and start to invest that money into influencer marketing. I think that's kind of the next wave, you know. So, you know, you've got all these different influencers that have a much bigger and targeted reach than a TV commercial, right? And so uh, I think that's going to be like huge influencer marketing. And I'll probably create an influencer marketing agency here in the near uh, couple of years as well. Of course you will, man. Of course. That's got to be the next. And, and I think, you know, and, and I'm on the, and I'm on the B2B side and I got to tell you, it's, it's, it's even coming over here. You know, we're working on mm-hmm. a, a campaign right now on the B2B side on LinkedIn, right? Which is like, what? LinkedIn mm-hmm. B2B influencer? Like, yep. You know, there's these people mm-hmm. out there that have LinkedIn kind of feels like that place of like 
no, you couldn't do that. It's like, yeah, that's what's happening, man. Like that's, that's sure that's that's what's happening right now. Even on that, LinkedIn, that's another thing. That's another thing. You, you just probably like so. Like what I do is I create um, like little bite-sized pieces of content uh, for LinkedIn, uh, where it's like maybe like a minute and a half, two minutes, and I drop one like every day. And it's just kind of like, um, you know, content so that, you know, you're first to mind, right? So like you have so many people in your network that you don't really associate with that you've connected with, but by just dropping a piece of video content every day about like something that's going to give value back to somebody else in a business perspective. So that's really powerful. I agree, man. And it's so easy for people to do too. It's just, just, I think it's that idea of just giving value and it's like, it's like there's a cumulative effect that happens that I think, you know, we're always looking for the call to action or direct report and results. And obviously come from the SEO world, you know, that it's, it's not a, not every exact action has an exact outcome. It's the cumulative. So I think that's true for a lot of things in life too. You know, like you said, that random yellow page ad or the, you know, other investments (laughs) that you made where you're like, Oh, wait, I I, wait, I've got to spend $5,000 and this. And, and I think sometimes, like you said, you know, being bold and being smart can be, you know, either at each other's throats or can work together if you can find the right people around you. So I think this is a fantastic you know, conversation, Jason. Really appreciate you joining me on the show, man. It was a lot of fun. Thank you, Jake. I appreciate you having me. All right. Appreciate you, man. And, and again, I think everyone's going to have a lot of takeaways from this episode just around... You know, just again, like the ability to look and see ahead and, you know, be okay with taking chances. You know, you don't always know where they're going to pay off. And I think, you know, your story in particular is one that'll inspire a lot of people. So definitely pumped to have you. And everyone, we will see you next week on the Jake Dunlap Show. All right. Thank you so much, everyone, for tuning in to another extremely fun and interesting episode. I thought it was fun and interesting. So I hope you did too. Of the Jake Dunlap Show. Uh, really great just breaking down everything that makes people who they are the success the trials and errors and i hope that you enjoyed it as much as i did make sure to subscribe on your favorite platform and make sure more than anything to go over to jakedunlap.com that's where you're going to stay up to date on all the latest guests additional details prep notes we're going to be sharing everything on jakedunlap.com so go ahead go over there you can subscribe there as well too and we will see you next week on the jake dunlap show